Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics from ABC News. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, and it is great to be back. I missed the podcast. I was gone for some time. Joined now once again. Great to see you again, Rick Klein, ABC News political director. We didn't miss you at all, John. The show went what? on and, and news happened even in your absence. And, and there's quite a bit of it to get to. There's a, there's a lot going on all of a sudden on the eve of the Republican convention as we wait with bated breath to see Donald Trump's vice presidential choice. A whole bunch happening. Yeah, and we have some extraordinary polls out. Uh, looks like we have a real race on our hands. We're going to get to all of that. We're actually going to talk to two feuding Republican delegates Uh, One of the many that will be there to vote for Donald Trump, but one that's still trying to get him ousted. Uh, So that's going to be coming up. But we had first, I want to get to uh, really an extraordinary speech on the floor of the United States Senate. Uh, I have uh, I've covered Congress for for many, many years, more than I would care to admit. This uh, was was a real moment. Senator Tim Scott, one of only two African-American senators, the only African-American Republican in the Senate, uh, came to the floor to talk about his own experience dealing with law enforcement. Here's a clip. I recall walking into an office building just last year after being here for five years on the Capitol. And the officer looked at me with a little attitude and said, the pen I know, you I don't. Show me your ID. I'll tell you. I was thinking to myself, either he thinks I'm committing a crime impersonating a member of Congress, or, or what? Well, I'll tell you that later that evening, I received a phone call from his supervisor apologizing for the behavior. Uh, Mr. President, That is at least the third phone call that I've received from a supervisor or the chief of police since I've been in the Senate. So while I thank God I have not endured bodily harm, I have, however, felt the pressure applied by the scales of justice when they are slanted. I have felt the anger, the frustration, the sadness, and the humiliation that comes with feeling like you're being targeted for nothing more than being just yourself. All right, and now we have Senator Tim Scott joining us on the line. Senator Scott, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Certainly. It's good to be with you all. I want to get to the broader issues that you're raising. I know you're, this, is, this is part of a series of three speeches that you're giving on the issues of law enforcement and race and, and related issues. But I, I want to start with the specifics of that incident we just heard you described. I, you know, to me, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine a, a United States senator, uh, especially somebody like you who'd been on Congress, uh, on Capitol Hill as an elected official for five years, getting stopped and ID'd at the, at the door, effectively. Uh, I understand uh, that you got a call, an apology um, from the head of the Capitol Police, but ha- have you run into that police officer again? No, not that I know of. Uh, I certainly, you know, for me, uh, I think having a, a quick memory has been very helpful along my path. So I 
don't hold any grudges. I, I thought it was important to illuminate that is incident because so few people can truly appreciate that it's not uh, your place in life that determines sometimes your interaction. It happens at every facet of life, and, and that's important. Uh, so I haven't seen the officer. I have, of course, had hundreds if not thousands of interactions that went very well on Capitol Hill. But it is important to recognize that uh, sometimes in order to improve the situation, you have to bring light to the entire situation. And, and I want to, for, for people who don't know who you are, I, I, I want to give some broader context because this was, as we said at the top of, of the podcast, an extraordinary speech. It's it's one of one of one of the real most interesting moments, I think, important moments that I've uh, witnessed uh, on the Senate floor. Um, but you are uh, an incredibly respected voice in, 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 in the Republican conference. You're very close to the leadership. Um, you're, you're somebody who has, uh, uh, has earned the you know, respect of, of, of your colleagues in, in both parties, and, and you were also uh, you know, an important voice in the House. So when you come out and say this stuff, I, I, I've got to believe that your colleagues, your Republican colleagues, uh, stand up and listen. What kind of reaction have you heard since you gave that speech? Uh, I certainly hope so. The good Lord has blessed me to be a part of the U.S. Senate, and I think for such a time as this, I pray at least. Uh, my, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle have been very uh, very uh, thankful and very complimentary to the courage to have a conversation that they assume, and uh, those on the right especially, assume it is a difficult conversation to have, especially at a time like we're having it in the country now. And it certainly is an emotional uh, conversation for me personally. But more importantly, it's a difficult conversation because we're talking about very difficult issues. The one thing I don't want to do is conflate the negativity of the times as if it's only negative. And when I, when I use the word conflate, what I, what I mean is you can have both positive experiences in much of your life and negative experiences in a part of your life. And the two can happen simultaneously. So you don't have to simply uh, bifurcate the discussion and have a discussion about either or it can be a conversation that, that includes the word and and i was struck by something that that you told one of the papers back in your home state of south carolina that you were surprised to see the calls for moments of silence for the dallas police shootings but nothing similar for the victims of uh of two tragic incidents that have happened just in the last couple of days where 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 black individuals were killed by police officers what what do you attribute that to is it is it that is it that for most of the predominantly white Senate, for instance, that, that there isn't an understanding of how that resonated with actual black Americans? I, th I, think it's, I think it's very difficult for a person to walk in another person's shoes. Uh, and sometimes we have blinders, and those blinders don't necessarily mean ill will. Uh, and, and unfortunately, this was not a partisan issue. This was a bipartisan set of blinders. It was Democrats as well as Republicans who did not respond. I think there were 11 out of 100 senators responded before Dallas. So the fact is that we have to somehow, uh, in a nonpartisan, America-only perspective, from an American-only perspective, have a new conversation where one side talks the other side listens, 
and then you reverse it as opposed to one side talking and the other side waiting to talk. Uh, I think that's a really important part of the necessary engagement is for each side to be equally interested in what the other side has to say. That's very difficult to do in conversations when it doesn't matter. I certainly think it's even more important but harder to do when it does. And how do you bring that engagement, that conversation to Cleveland? This is happening at a tense time in the nation. And when your party is set to converge on a city that has uh, even a recent history of, of racial unrest and it's a party that has had notorious problems in, in uh, reaching out to voters of color. We've seen recent battleground state polls that have Donald Trump pulling 0% of African-Americans in critical states. What's the message for your party as you engage in this convention next week? Well, I think, you know, once again, I, I'm not going to allow the, the conversation to be limited to the Republican Party as if we have uh, more problems than, than the other side of the aisle. Frankly, the fact is simple. Uh, in Cleveland and in the city of brotherly love, there's a conversation to be had about who we are as Americans. Not a political conversation, not a partisan conversation, but a family conversation. And my hope is that what you'll hear in Cleveland uh, is how do we solve the problems that are on the minds of the average person in the average place. As an example, yesterday I had a group of kids come to the Capitol, 50-plus kids, inner-city kids, facing really an uphill battle in a lot of ways. Their concerns were having access to opportunities. Their concerns were having jobs and skills and training. If we hear out of the Cleveland Convention, uh, if we hear out of the Republican Convention a theme of fairness and opportunity that starts with jobs and the economy, I think that will resonate very very strongly in the African-American community, as well as every other community. If we stick to a partisan, personal conversation, uh, it will be more difficult for us to gain traction. But the kids that I met with were not first asking questions about, uh, about police brutality. They were asking and having a conversation about equal access to economic opportunities. And that's that, that I found uh, interesting and a little surprising, to be honest with you, but it is what's on the minds of, of young adults uh, in our nation today. And it appears to be the same as I've had that same conversation over and over again in the last 24 hours back at home in South Carolina as well. In your speech, you also talk about how during one uh, one-year period you were pulled over seven different times. Uh, maybe a couple of those times you were speeding. The other, uh, you, you said it was perhaps because you were driving a car that was too nice for the neighborhood you were driving. I don't even know what that looks like. Uh, but you, and you also mentioned the, the staffer you had, the African-American staffer you had who, who had a, uh, you know, a, a pretty nice Chrysler uh, car and uh, found himself getting pulled over so much he decided to, to sell the car and get one that didn't look uh, quite as nice. Uh, what, what, what is this? I mean, let's go beyond the specific the specific examples. What is your sense about the state of race relations in America today? I think there's two realities that uh, almost are contradictory. I think we've made more progress as a nation in the last 50 years than anyone could have ever imagined. 
I remember in 2008 listening to some of my my friends of color on the Democrat side say there's no way in the world that the Democrat Party would would nominate an African American to be their nominee. And then I heard shortly thereafter there's just no way on both sides of the aisle that there, that the country would vote for an African American to be president. The fact of the matter is, while I do not agree with the policies consistently, consistently do not agree with the policies of President Obama, America stood up and did something that a lot of folks thought was impossible. So at the same time that we've seen amazing progress on the issue of race, we still have embedded in uh, our psyche uh, something that has to be dealt with, and, and that bias uh, reflects itself in facets of our society. And, and so one of the areas that I think we have to deal with that, of course, uh, I've over the last uh, two, two speeches and today with solutions, We'll continue to deal with how to create a positive interaction between the law enforcement community and the black community. And then the second issue is an issue of opportunity. When you look at the rates of incarceration, high school dropout rates, employment rates, all these things have one thing in common, education. If we are going to open the door of opportunity, we're going to have to figure out how to create real educational choice in the poorest neighborhoods in the poorest zip codes in this country. Without that real opportunity, the chasm between the haves and the have-nots will continue to grow. And, and you, you point to the election of Barack Obama, and there's also your election, uh, a, a Republican, conservative Republican, um, African-American elected from South Carolina post, uh, you know, post-Reconstruction. But what is your sense, back to, to, to my broader question on the state of racial relations and, and at the risk of oversimplifying, better or worse since the election of, of Barack Obama? Have we seen racial relations, racial relations improve uh, or have we seen a backlash and, and, and an uglier side emerge uh, post-Obama? Uh, can the answer be yes, John? <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they, to me, I think we have seen the best of America. Uh, in many, many ways since the uh, election of President Obama. Uh, in, in some ways, you can take a look at the fact that we have uh, Will Hurd, Mia Love. We have uh, Congressman Corbello from Florida. We, we have seen the emergence of real diversity in elected officials on both sides of the aisle. We'll probably see later this year Car Carmela Harris become the first African-American woman to serve in the United States Senate in the history of the country. Uh, the people of South Carolina, majority white state, overwhelmingly white state, uh, made me the first African-American ever in the history of the country to be elected to both the House and the Senate. Here are signs of progress in Fortune 500 companies, more leadership than we've seen in a very long time. But we still can't deny that there are places in our society where the fairness uh, formula needs to be improved. Uh, and today I will talk about how to improve in law enforcement and their interactions with the black community specifically. I'll also talk about how do we make sure that opportunity, economic opportunity, educational opportunity, and this notion of being a part, a full part of the American family. How do we accomplish that? I'll have some solutions later on today. And we'll be listening and uh, we'll be seeing you in Cleveland, right? I'll be there. All I'll right. We'll talk to there. you there. 
Have Senator Scott, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Extraordinary, you know, individual. Uh, Senator Tim Scott is, is a real conservative. Uh, I mean, here you have him talking about themes that we don't hear a lot of conservatives talking about, although certainly he, he also hits the economic opportunity theme. But, but he's, he's a real conservative that was chosen by the South Carolina Republican Party to be their nominee and then, and then elected uh, to the United States Senate. Uh, but that is not th- – those are, those are not the sentiments that we have heard much from Republicans. No, and you think about when we cover politics, who are people who can actually advance a conversation like this? It takes a Senator Scott. It takes an African-American Republican to to be able to to divorce this a bit from politics. And him going on the Senate floor, I I don't discount the power of that even among his colleagues to say, you know, we've had this big debate about black lives matter, blue lives matter, as if it's only one or the other. And I think Senator Scott's message is that's not the case. You can be equally concerned about violence against police officers and violence against black Americans, that you don't have to choose one or the other. It's not easy, though— for a Democrat to make that argument, because it seems like you're just aligning with one side or the other. It's not easy, frankly, for a white Republican to make that argument. It takes someone with Senator Scott's background and that that diversity of opinion, of viewpoints, of background to bring it and actually advance it. And he's a thoughtful man. He's a committed person. And I think this is a a kind of, even in our polarized time, these speeches will be remembered for some time. All right. Well, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, We'll get to the politics of the Republican convention coming up in Cleveland. Hey, think fast. Hey, what's this? The solution for your pain. Lidocare pain patch? Yep, the only non-water-based patch on the market blocks pain for up to eight hours. So it gives me eight hours of pain relief and stays dry? That's right. It's patent-pending technology, so it really is one of a kind. It says here it's odor-free, ultra-flexible, dry, and light. The Lidocare pain patch from the makers of Blue Emu. For long-lasting relief, you can wear. Available at CBS. Hey, it's Rick again. I just want to take a quick break to tell you about some of our other ABC News podcasts. If you're into meditation, check out 10% Happier with Dan Harris. If you want to really dive deep into other top news stories of the week, you can check out Perspective or World News This Week. A bunch of other ones, too. You can find them all at abcnewspodcast.com. Again, that is abcnewspodcast.com. All right, back to the show. All right, Rick, we've got days away from the Republican convention. Bags packed for Cleveland. We, the bags, you are leaving in the morning. I'm leaving Saturday. We are ready to go. Uh, we also, you know, there's still that the, the never Trump movement is not dead yet. Uh, there's going to be a fight. We don't know how much of a fight yet, but there will certainly be a fight on the floor of the convention. And we will be talking shortly with. Uh, Republican delegates on both sides of that fight. That's right. There's even a mysterious paper jam going on in the Rules Committee in Cleveland <laughs> right now. Is, uh, it appears that there's efforts to try to hammer out a compromise, and this would be an effort to unbind the delegates. This would be the dump Trump movement to try to find a way to say, despite all the voting and, and the, the, the situation where you have the presumptive nominee, that the delegates should be free to, to, to vote their own conscience. And it comes in the context, John, of a Republican Party that's been quite divided for some time, but is showing signs of beginning to rally behind their man. And you have the new national poll out, the New York Times CBS poll that has a tight race, a 40-40 race. Imagine winning a campaign with 41% of the vote. <laughs> a lot of folks out there, in addition to a bunch of battleground states that show this is a dogfight. And I wonder, John, what this does to the efforts to try to block Trump. Uh, they were having trouble getting traction. They still have a couple of maneuvers up their sleeves, but we're not seeing a landslide of an election against Trump right now. 
All right, let's look at this CBS New York Times poll because this is something else. Tie race nationally, as you said, 40 Clinton, 40 Trump. That's head-to-head. Yeah. Uh, if you throw in the libertarian uh, ticket, uh, Gary Johnson and, and, and Bill Weld, uh, you end up with 36 Clinton, 36 Trump, Johnson 12. Uh, absolutely <laughs> incredible numbers. First of all, you have heard such confident – uh, from Democrats and, frankly, a lot of pessimism uh, from uh, from some very powerful Republicans that you and I have spoken to uh, that basically says the map is, is, is such a way Trump's negatives are, are, are so high. Basically, there's no way he can win. Well, this looks like a race he can win. Um, and, and then, I mean, the specifics on these state polls, the battleground yeah. state polls. Yeah, you look in these states and you see a, a dead heat in Ohio. You see conflicting information in Pennsylvania that suggests that's very close. Same in Florida, same in Iowa, same in Colorado. You go state by state and say they aren't out of reach. And all of this is context, not I mean, just Pennsylvania for the, is a yeah. state that, that Republicans haven't won since when? 88. Uh, you look at you look at the, the this all as a, as a backdrop for Cleveland and for Donald Trump's choice of a of a vice presidential nominee, which you know could be just hours away from this right now. He, he is dealing with a, a landscape that is a little bit different than we had even a couple of weeks ago, before the FBI testimony, before the latest, and despite the fact that he's been so badly outspent, all of that sets up. Another unpredictable piece of the action in Cleveland, because people have been geared for a long time for this battle. The Trump folks are trying to obviously snuff it out and, and turn toward their type of convention. We've gotten the list of speakers. It's maybe not quite as uh, as uh, scintillating a list of superstars as we might have uh, expected at one point. Uh, but there is there's quite a battle ahead in Cleveland, even inside the arena. All right. And we have two of the delegates that will be the, the power brokers there. We've got on two very different sides of the aisle. Uh, first of all, we have Bo Carell. You are a Virginia delegate who has gone to court for your right not to vote for Donald Trump. Absolutely. We, uh, we fought the uh, statute on constitutional grounds. Trump tried to intervene, try to get dismissed. Uh, he lost. He lost big, and the statute was declared unconstitutional. Okay, so... I, and, and, and congratulations, you won that. This applies to Virginia, and, and, and there's an effort to uh, to unbind all of the delegates. I have to admit, I'm a little baffled by it. Um, to, to, to move beyond the specifics of, of of the Virginia case, the the idea that delegates to the convention would not be bound by the way their states voted uh, strikes me uh, just 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 candidly as, as as a little strange. I spent so much time. Over the, over the last two decades, I've spent so much time covering state primaries, caucuses. We go, we talk to voters, the votes are held, we have winners announced, victory speeches, concession speeches. And then what, what's the idea here, that all that doesn't matter? No, it's, it certainly matters. But, you know, it, it's a very easy proposition that national party rules govern national delegates. National party rules are not yet adopted. Now, uh, in some states, they use proportional allocation. There's all kinds of different uh, uh, ways that it's allocated. Um, But allocation is different from binding, right? So allocation occurs in uh, the several of the standing rules of the Republican National Committee. But, you know, there's convention rules. That governs binding. So, um, I mean, I'm of the opinion that, uh, and I think it's pretty factually based, that the rules of the convention are not yet adopted. Um, I will tell you this. I think we have the rules uh, down pat the way we want it. We have have the votes for a minority report. 
We have the votes on the floor. Um, this is going to be a real uphill battle for Donald Trump. I mean, just just think about this, right? Uh, the RNC, in collusion with the Trump campaign, faked a printer jam so they can get a meeting between Priebus uh, and several other individuals because, you know, the this is a uh, you know a house of cards. It's falling apart. We, we may need an investigation and, yeah. to see if the printer jam was real. But where's, we, we Carly, certainly... <laughs> where's Carly Fiorina and HP oh, when yeah. you when you need her? Right. But let's let's bring this to, to Matt Moore, the, the chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party. Uh, and and Matt, uh, what what is your response to this? What is going to happen on the ground? And you, why shouldn't delegates be able to vote their conscience? It's, it's good to be here, guys. I'm actually in the arena, Quicken Loans Arena right now, so I apologize for any background A noise. man in the Love arena. It. We like it. And I wanted to point out, the only brokers I know is self-stock, so I'm not sure <laughs> the power broker word is uh, appropriate there. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, a, lot of, uh, you know, a lot of tense words there uh, from someone on the other side of this. I, you know, my position is this, is that even if a person uh, agrees with um, the, the interpretation of the rules that will lead to the unbinding, which I don't, by the way. Even if a person believes that, the spirit of the rules is such that we had contests in literally all 50 states and six territories to nominate a person for president. A person won 37 uh, contests, racked up a majority of delegates, and therefore has won the nomination. So you can ignore interpretation, the technicalities of law, uh, and this and that. You can ignore um, you know, the polling uh, here and there and elsewhere. Uh, but at the heart of it, the spirit of the rules is that a person followed the rules that were set out in the opening. Every All 17 candidates agreed to those rules, and a person won. Uh, and so for us, I think it's, it's as simple as that. Uh, and you can have debates about uh, federal court decisions and, and uh, certain rules that were passed in 18 whatever. Uh, but at the heart of it is that a person won under the rules that we set out, and that should be respected. Hey, so can, can we move to the to the broader issue of uh, of, of your of what will be happening in Cleveland. I mean, I think there's – Bo, you would acknowledge uh, the almost certain scenario here is that Donald Trump will emerge as the nominee. Absolutely not. Really? I mean, absolutely not. So you no, think he no. could still I mean, like, be stopped? This is a media fantasy that somehow or another, you know, Donald Trump is uh, – this is an all but certain thing. It's not. And hey. I can tell you because we have the votes for the minority report, and what that means is that – we're going to send to the floor the question of whether or not delegates can vote their conscience. And there's going to be some huge news coming up on that. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just stay tuned. But uh, there's going to be some massive news, and we're going to be able to send that to the floor. We have the votes on the floor, right? We have the votes on the floor. I don't know. To adopt adopt this uh, (laughs) as as part of the the rules of the convention. Donald Trump, uh, you know, is living in fantasy. Uh, and he's just really ruined his chances of, of having the confidence of the party and the party delegates um, given the last several months after the primary. You know, we want someone that actually beats Hillary and doesn't go down in the worst defeat in modern times against so, the Democrats. Bo, Bo, uh, how many people agree with you in the Virginia delegation? Are, are you Are you kind of uh... – uh, a lone voice there, or are you telling me that, that, that that's kind of the sentiment of, of, of many of your fellow delegates? Well, I mean, look, it's a, it's a very easy proposition. Let me just start there. 
that national rules govern national delegates. No, no, but, but I'm talking about the, the, right. the, the broader issue. I, I, I don't want to get to the, into the weeds of the delegates. I'm right. talking about the, your point here that you think Donald Trump should be and can be stopped next week in Cleveland. That's an extraordinary he statement. He, he will be stopped. Now, yes, by the Virginia delegation, uh, we're doing really well. I mean, we, the, uh, the Trump campaign sent an email uh, to the delegation, and then, you know, there's been emails going back and forth uh, on that point. I mean, this is not a sure thing for Donald Trump. And uh, until he is the nominee, he is not the nominee. Now is the moment of courage of people to step forward and potentially uh, submit their names for the delegates at large. So, Matt, let's bring it to you on this. You, you heard this. He says it's a media-derived fantasy that Donald Trump will be the nominee. What What's being done right now behind the scenes or right out in the open to ensure that the man who, by all accounts, got more votes, got a majority of delegates, is the only active candidate, will be the nominee come next week? Well, uh, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure that 28 votes against right now for the Rules Committee. I'm not for the minority report in the Rules Committee. I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but maybe there will be some clarity on that. Uh, and, and to the point that you know, there's some sort of secret cabal meeting this morning with the Rules Committee. I mean, the delegates who are leading the Never Trump effort are the ones who are meeting with uh, RNC and uh, Trump campaign staffers and Senator Lee and others are involved in that uh, discussion too. But I think back to my you know original point, which is what you just made is that someone followed the rules uh, and they won. And that uh, again, I don't, I don't think that even if this did get to the uh, the convention floor, there's a majority of delegates who are, who are willing to do something so unprecedented uh, in the party's history and, and wrangle the nomination away from someone who uh, who duly won the nomination. Hey, hey, Matt, Matt, just a quick, quick thing. What's your percentage chance that Donald Trump has the nomination taken away from at the convention? Take it away. I think the chance is about 0.1 of 0.1%. Okay, 0.1 of 0.1%. So, so let, let me ask you more broadly. Your own governor, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, really one of the one of the stars of the Republican Party, isn't even going to the convention. Are you? Actually, no, she is coming to the convention. She's not she speaking, is. to my knowledge. Okay, so she won't be speaking, but she'll be there. So what? Right. What? What is? What is your? What is your sense, though? Uh, your 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 level of optimism that to, to the broader point that. Trump emerges as the nominee, and you say it's a virtual certainty. I, I would agree with you, uh, but but what what are his odds of actually winning in November? Well, I think to the convention issue, one more thing: you can't have an army without a general, and that's the problem with the effort to unbind delegates. Is there's no one waiting in the wings that we know of, or who's willing to put their name on a piece of paper uh, or issue a press release that says they're going to lead the effort and be the the opposition's nominee. So that is a big problem. Uh, to, so to your second point about the general election, you know, all elections go back to, to fundamentals, the, the, the fundamental blocking and tackling of campaigns. The, uh, the Clinton email scandal uh, interactions with the FBI really has hurt Clinton over the past couple of weeks. She's down uh, by some polls six to eight points nationally uh, into virtual ties um, in a lot of states. Uh, so, so fundamentally, uh, you know, this campaign will be very similar to all other campaigns, and we've seen that in the polling. I think, I think delegates here recognize that. Uh, and uh, to Trump's credit, he has given a lot of operational aspects of the campaign to the RNC. And the RNC has been preparing for this moment for a couple of years. No, Bo- uh, that, that's, the, yeah, that's the fundamental thing to data and the digital, the communications, the research that goes into a good campaign. No, Bo, you, uh, so you, on, on those things, I think we're in, in, a, in a strong position. Sorry, Bo, you mentioned that it's time for people to step forward. I mean, shouldn't 
How late can this go? The fact that we're sitting here, you know, four days before the convention and there isn't another candidate. Who is the person? Who is, if if you think this is going to happen, who is the nominee going to be next week? Well, I'm not at liberty to discuss specific people. I will tell you that there are discussions being had uh, right now uh, on that particular topic. I mean, you have certain things that need to fall into place or that would help to fall into place. The lawsuit sent a strong message to other delegations, need not fear the long arm of the state. Uh, Now we have the Rules Committee fight and then the floor. So, um, you know, I concede that point. Right. Part one is to educate delegates. They are already unbound, and delegates have been unbound since the Garfield Convention of 1880, with the exception of the Ford Convention in 76. Okay, I can see, you know, we got to educate the delegates. But part two is I can see this. You know, it, it may be for naught if no one submits themselves to the floor so um, publicly, and, and I think that needs to happen. Um, and I encourage anyone uh, to. Uh, to submit their name if they if they are competent, unlike Donald Trump, uh, preferably conservative, and can beat Hillary. Uh, so know, can I, I ask you? Can I ask you? Require someone to step forward. So uh, do you think Trump? If and I understand you're saying that you you don't think he's going to emerge next week as the nominee, but it, but if he does, uh, do you think that he can beat Hillary? Look, you have you have, we're, since we're talking polls or something like. 70 polls since January had him losing, with the exception of eight, four of which were Rasmussen. I mean, just think about that. I mean, they're a little biased, it seems like. So you think he can't win? So you think he can't win? He can't win. We'll go down. Our party will enter the dark ages that we sided with a guy who's been on three sides of a two-sided issue on everything. I mean, this guy, he doesn't even know what he believes because he's – He's not even competent for the nomination. So, uh, you know, I, I, I truly believe and my hope is optimistic that Donald Trump will not be the nominee and someone will step forward. And, Bo, you, but, I mean, just, uh, just, just, so, tell. just so everybody listening uh, could, can remember again, I want to emphasize, <laughs> you are a delegate to the Republican National Convention from Virginia. You will be in Cleveland. Absolutely, and I'm governed by the the national rules and, and the dictates of my conscience. I okay. will not vote for Donald Trump. Okay, and 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 should he emerge as the nominee, what do you do in November? I'll get to that when I get to that. How's that? Okay, all right. We'll come back and talk to you. All right, I think we're just about out of time. Yeah, so so we appreciate it, uh, Matt and Bo. We're going to see you in Cleveland. Appreciate you being with us. This is going to be a fight to be continued. Thank you, gentlemen. Real Thanks, pleasure. Guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Rick. Well, a little preview of the action. How how many bows are out there? Well, they say a couple hundred, you know, in the three hundred range that are looking to undermine. And that was as strong a criticism as we've heard from anybody in either party. Yeah, hundred percent. People that are showing up in Cleveland. And he said, "This is this is pretty close to unprecedented. It's not like a, a traditional open convention, even like '76. This is people that are showing up with the express desire." the very explicitly stated desire to stop Donald Trump from being the nominee. He just said that that Trump would send the party to the dark ages. That's right. That's right. This This is a Republican delegate. And this is a dynamic. The Trump people have been been talking to to me and to others and saying – 
These guys are spinning fairy tales. It's just you and the media that are listening. This is a mirage. It's not a mirage. Now, will it be successful? I think it's. I think he. I think Bo is vastly overstating the potential success here. But this he, is a real he, thing. He was saying that it's on that, that, that it's a fantasy right. that Trump actually gets the nomination. Well, that's now. right, and, that, and that's hard to say. And whatever I mean, happens with the Minority Report and the Paper Jam and all the rest, there will we can guarantee this, John, that there will be an effort on the floor of Donald Trump's convention to stop Donald Trump from being the nominee. This is different than when the the, the Rand Paul or the Ron Paul activists made a big stink about having their voices heard in 2012. This is to actually... They were trying to stop Mitt Romney. They were trying to make a point and and to to put down markers for future years. This is actually to stop the nominee, to upend the the will of the voters and the the expressed will of uh, of Republicans across the country uh, and and change, even at this 11th and a half hour, to, to, to change who the Republican nominee would be. Incredible. Incredible. All right. That is all the time we have. Uh, Thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. Remember, you can get us on iTunes. You can actually also get us on Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, just about everywhere. But please go subscribe. Give us a rating and a review. Even if you don't like Rick, give us a rating, give us a review. And next week from Cleveland, we'll be on the ground for the Republican convention with a, a lot more action on the way. 